Welcome to the Bill Cartwright Show. My special guest today is Dan Risley, my high school basketball coach, mentor, uh, great friend. Dan, great to have you on the show. Good to be here, Bill. Uh, Dan, I just want to talk. <laughs> I just want to talk to you a little bit about just how you grew up. Uh, I knew you grew up in Modesto, but you know what's interesting? I don't really know what kind of kid were you then growing up in Modesto. Uh, played baseball from eight in the morning till it got dark. I was, a, 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 I was short and I was a great ahead of everybody else. So when I went to high school, I was four foot 10 and I was 12 years old, my first year in high school. But in order to compete with everybody in baseball, I had to be more aggressive and had to work harder at it. Um, school was easy for me, had great parents and I just played baseball all day long and grew up. And then when I went to high school, got involved in all the good things to do. Modesto was a great place to grow up. If you watch the movie American Graffiti, that yes. was about my growing up period. We played what Ronnie Howard and all those guys did. We did all of those things and went to one year of Modesto Junior College. And then I moved to Sacramento and went to Sacramento State. And that's where I graduated from. Had one brother who was older than I, but we were very, very close. So when you went to Sac State, what did you study? Uh, I started off as an elementary education major. I was going to major in sector education, except I took a class called um, prehistoric history, I mean, history from Europe, and it bored me to death. So I said, I can't, I can't do this crap. So I become an elementary ed uh, major graduate from there and my first teaching job was in the sixth grade so what did you teach in the sixth grade you teach everything and the reason why i got the job because i could also speak spanish and those were the days i think but the thing that got me going was uh sixth graders we had flag football we had basketball we had girls softball and boys and girls track and that's where all the coaching stuff started i started coaching sixth graders and felt that uh, maybe I found something that maybe I could be successful in. So after the sixth grade coaching, where, where did you go from there? Well, I was very fortunate because all those sports that I mentioned, there were 54 schools in the district. I won every championship. So a job opened up at Winston Churchill Intermediate School. And I had a friend that was a uh, uh, over there so I went over there and they liked what they saw and they gave me a job and I coached basketball for two years and we were 44 and oh so that even even more inspired me maybe this is something that I could have a career in so why do you why do you feel like you won so many games 44 and oh that's that's a lot of wins well, you know me as well as anybody in the world. I, I know I've got certain abilities. Number one, I'm a hard worker. Number two, I'm smarter than the average bear. And our maker gave me the ability to motivate people. And when you make people feel good, they, they want to play. And once again, I was lucky because I went to a situation where we had talent. As we both know, no matter how hard, how hard you work, you got to have talent. But we came, we were... We were above, before our time, we did things that high schools did because I would talk to coaches and find out what can I do to make these kids better. Was that, did you talk to all coaches or was it any particular coaches that really helped you? I, 
anybody I could talk to, I would go to summer league games. I would go to adult basketball games, anywhere I could go where I could pick up knowledge about the game. And when I started coaching basketball, it became my passion. And I was like a human sponge. I would absorb. And I also, I had these two young men by the name of Lindsay's who who went to Stanford on track scholarships. And their father was an administrator. And he became my mentor. For after there, I went to Miraloma High School where I coached freshman basketball for two years and JV basketball for two years. So where did you go after Miraloma? Well, Miraloma, I went, they never had any winning down below. So I coached freshman there for two years. And I think we're something like 38 and six and their JV team had never won many games. And I became their JV coach. And I was in a hospital with kidney stones and they took my basketball team to play the JV at Elk Grove High School. And the guy that took the team had been the previous JV coach and he never won. And he just beat the living hell out of Elk Grove. He beat him by 35. <laughs> so the following summer in August, when they were looking for a basketball coach, they said, who's this guy from Miraloma? And also the guy had had a class with some of the other coaches from the San Juan district. And they said he was the up and coming JV coach in the district. So they called me in August. I wanted to be the head uh, head coach because I knew I knew I could do it. I'd never been to Elk Grove except to play softball. I knew nothing about the school. I only knew that they had t- big white guys because they played the same league with Jesuit High School, and Jesuit used our gym at Miraloma to play their games. So when the guy said, "Would you like the job?" I talked over with my wife, and she said, "If that's what you want to do," and I had a lot of people from Miraloma who uh, were influential people who phoned Elk Grove and I went down and I interviewed and they didn't ask me a lot about basketball. They asked me if I could teach history and American government. I could. And I took the job. If I would have researched their program and, and looked at what they'd done in the past, I would never have taken the job because the two previous year they'd won six games and lost over 20 and According to a good friend of mine, John Carson, when he played Elk Grove, it was a W. But my intention was to go to Elk Grove maybe for one or two years. And then when a job opened up uh, uh, San Juan District, I would go there. Little that I know that 34 years later, I'd be retiring from Elk Grove High School. A lot of people would take the job knowing that they weren't successful, knowing like, hey, I could, all I could do is go, but go up, right? Wasn't that a motivation for you? I knew I could win, but I just wanted a head job because I was tired of being an assistant. So I'd go down here and I knew that I could win and that then a job would open up and I would come back to where I was comfortable. So who, who were some of the guys? I mean, I, I know who the guys were. Who were some of the guys who were there who were actually pretty good? Well, you know, it was interesting because how, how Elk Grove looked at basketball and how I looked at basketball, it really, we didn't have, we, we're on the same page. So I'll never forget, I went down there and I saw their uniforms and looked like their hard Globetrotter uniforms. I said, there's something wrong here because you know that I felt you always had to look good. So we started and we made as basic as can be. And I had a guy named Lance Mock who was an animal, but he was a physical specimen, 6'2", the jump out of the gym. Uh, Craig Enos was a player, um, had a guy, Randy Soffer who was a senior. And then we had a young man by Mike Solis who came in as a sophomore. And we tried, we played a one, two, two zone. And we tried to make the game 
as slow as possible. I mean, we wanted to keep the games in the 40s and the 50s because we're in the Metro League because that's the only way we could play with these people. But with you, we played very aggressive, hard-nosed defense. We banged on people, and we just tried to keep the, the game in our element. Was it Elk Grove kind of a football school at that point in time? Are you kidding me? <laughs> football, the marching band, and the FFA, and somewhere down the line there was basketball. Wrestling out actually outdrew basketball. The first game, the people coming out, I asked Glenn where they have, hey, Glenn, where's all the fans? Because there were more less people there than when I was the JV coach at Mir at Miralem High School. Be honest with you. And our first game, we played against Jesuit High School. Uh, we were competitive. We were up by seven going in the fourth quarter. And I told the team we're up by seven. They said, we're ahead. And they proceeded to score three points in the fourth quarter. Okay. And I said, what am I doing here? I mean, honestly, what am I doing in this town? I mean, it was a cultural shock to be at Elk Grove, be honest with you. I mean, they, the guys chewed tobacco and they wore jeans with crap on their boots. And that wasn't my thing, but you know, that's what I, the hand I was dealt and what can you do with it? So did you have help from administration? Did they have people yes. encourage you? Dick Saldi, who was an ex uh, six foot eight, uh, graduated from Harvard, uh, and he was behind me and a guy named Walt Holmes. They, they were behind me as much as possible. They, they, I was their first hire and they encouraged me, but you know how, you know me, Bill, I'm very, very positive. And I says, we can do this. And the kids bought in what we were doing. And the thing was this, that we struggled, but we won nine out of our last 11 games and we came in second in the league. And I had four kids coming back the next year. So you got off to a pretty good start. Well, the next year, we had a kid named Mike Pinkman, who was there for three years and played on three championships. We had a kid named Terry Soffer, who became an excellent player. There's two things you can't teach in basketball, as you know, Bill. You can't teach height and you can't teach quickness, but you can do all the other things. And I also started doing other things uh, in regard to they didn't have summer league in those days or AU, so I had a, I opened my gym up in the summertime. We just started spending time on the floor. So we were very excited about the next year because we had four starters coming back and we had these two sophomores who were good players. Talk a little bit about Terry. I think that Terry has a really intriguing story uh, considering uh, as a freshman, he basically didn't play. And then he, averaged you got a half a he averaged a half a point a game. And I, that summer in order to support the family, I ran a swimming pool at Miraloma High School. And I took Terry down there and I told him how good they were being. People ridiculed me. I also told him about a, a six, nine kid on the junior high level. And they said, well, he's tall. He's got a nice touch, but he shoots the ball on his shoulder and he ain't got a lot of ability. Well, when they told me those things that even motivated me even more. And Terry started working and started working, lifting broomsticks with rubber bands and getting stronger. I brought him on the varsity, even though he didn't start, but just competing every day with the bigger guys. Toward the end of the year, we scrimmaged a sophomore team and he dominated them. And he, Terry was very bright. He listened to everything I said and he became so fundamentally sound. And he actually knew everybody's position on the floor because he was so smart. And once again, we had Mike Pinkerton. So here we are with 
And by the way, we win the league that year. And uh, with our tallest starter being 6'4", and we went to the TOC. We won our first game and got knocked off our second game because <clears throat> we were very physical. We got different officials. But we had won the league, and that was it. And here I find out I've got this young man who in the springtime was coming down to Elk Grove after his school. And he and Terry Soft are working one-on-one. -on -one. I would sit underneath the basket, and they would go by the numbers on the box. And I said, maybe we've got something here. And during that summer, we worked. Um, they, they, got, they got to Elk Grove High School at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. We worked on fundamentals till 7.30. We opened the gym up, and people from all over Sacramento, over 100 people came. And things were starting to come together. And the next year, we started a team, a, a guy named Bill Cartwright at 7 feet tall, Terry Soffer, 6'9", Melvin Jesse, 6'6", Mike Sola, 6'4", and Mike Pickard, 6 feet tall. We were a pretty tall high school basketball team, but we weren't talented yet. We, we weren't, we, did, we couldn't do it all. I mean, we could play and we could beat most teams, but we weren't the upper echelon yet. But as the year progressed and these guys became more confident in themselves, things started really coming together. And we lost Solis, who was our, our leader with a, broken ankle, with, a, uh, with a broken hand for most of the year. But we won the league and we got into the TOC and we played well. And we played a team called Stag High School, who had won something like 60 consecutive games. And we gave them everything they wanted, except they beat us. And after the game, I'm walking out of the gym and believe it or not, we started four, uh, we had, we're starting four young people. And if we get a beat of press, that's what we lacked. And being to the second game from the section championship, it motivated you guys and motivated me even more. And things started coming together even more, bought new uniforms. Uh, the summer program got more intense. You and Terry, during the springtime, worked a couple of hours a day. During the fall, uh, we had an extended day. The guys would get to school at 9 o'clock in the morning. We would run and condition. You would go to school. We'd start basketball practice from 5, and we'd have very short practices, as you remember. You And then you harassed me all the time <laughs> because we had three-hour practices. I don't deny it. And things really started coming together. I mean, we... We, we were it. We scrimmaged uh, Consumnes River College, who uh, we beat them by 35. We scrimmaged Delta Junior College, who won the Junior College League. We beat them by 20. Uh, we, were, we were very, very good, to say the, say the least. We were confident. We were experienced. We were big. We handled everything there could possibly be. Meanwhile, I talked to a coach by the name of John Wooden at UCLA. And he gave me some big man drills and stuff that I used with you and Terry. And I think you remember how we used to practice every day for at least 30 minutes, how to get the ball into the post. And that became our thing, that we played the biggest matching zone you could ever imagine. And you guys were smart. You thought you could win. You were confident. And even though we lost you for 10 games that year, we did something that I'm not certain the other high school, we went 30 and 0, which was quite an accomplishment considering we lost 
the California basketball player of the year for 10 games. No, we, we spent a lot of time um, on the court, but we spent a lot of time really at your house. And I'm not even sure how you fed all of us because uh, we were over there a lot. Uh, I remember playing air hockey, eating and uh, hanging out. So I, I, I thought that was really a, a big reflection of our team. We were like family. I think uh, one of our people at the reunion said we were like family. We were. And I lived close to the school. And remember, you had to catch a bus from the first people in and you couldn't go to school. So you would come over at my house. And my house was open to you guys. After every game, we went to my house. And we were like family. I mean, we were, our whole life was Elk Grove basketball. And Remember that year we got to the nice long coats. I mean, we looked good and we dressed good. And it was very important to me that we had this image. And you'll remember correctly that during practice that we wore the same type of uniform during practice that we wore in the game. And I made practices like game situations. And when we warmed up, you guys never looked at the other team, but they looked at us and we were like a machine. You guys didn't make mistakes and everybody did the exact same thing. So I would say that year about half the time we won the game before they ever tipped it off because we intimidated people. We walked in the gym and you guys were all dressed nice with your coat and with your tie and the coat on. And we were Elk Grove basketball and people all over the city, Elk Grove basketball. And we started selling season tickets that year from the, when we first started, 200 people in the stands that we sold 800 season tickets. And if you get, in, get into the, there by six o'clock, you didn't get in the gym. And of course, every radio station, every newspaper, they wanted to come down and be part of this. Well, of course, it made you guys feel even more important because here we came the biggest, we became the biggest sport story in, 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 in all of Sacramento. And you guys are part of it. So, you know, once again, is that part of motivation I made you guys feel like you were family. And if you remember correctly, when you got, we warmed up, everybody had their own basketball with their number on it. So it just made you feel very, very important. And if you make somebody feel important and you make them feel good about themselves, they're, they're going to be, they're going to perform much better. How soon when you met Phil, did you realize he was a very special player? Did you see an NBA future for him? I'm sure, you know, UCLA recruited him, so I'm sure Coach Wooden was also asking you about, hey, how do we get this guy to Pauly Pavilion? When I first met Bill, he was six foot nine, and he shot the ball from his shoulder. And Bill was not very fundamentally sound. And I felt there was potential because when I looked at him, he would talk, he would listen to everything he said. And when he came into our program, we, we were a very physical bunch. We were very, we didn't have tall guys. We were very physical. And be honest with you, they beat Billy up because Billy was 6'9 and a thin young man, all right? And I remember going to talk to his dad. I said, Mr. Cartwright, if you will let Bill come and do this extra work, I guarantee to you that he will get a college scholarship. Did I think he would be Mr. Basketball in 1974, 1975? Did I think he'd play in the NBA for 16 years? No. I knew that he could have a successful basketball career. But I think the thing that turned Billy around was that he and Terry played against each other one-on-one. -on -one. And Terry, 
If you notice, Billy has a reputation of having elbows. And that's my fault because I taught them to keep their elbows high. And when they go one-on-one, Bill would lead with his chin and Terry would just banging, 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 banging. But Terry went away for about a two-week vacation or sometime he came back. And all of a sudden, a light went on in Billy's mind. And I just saw, my God, who is this young man? And all the things he started to do, jump hooks, everything was just unbelievable. High touch, the ball high. And I knew then who knows where he's going to be. And I went to a a banquet down at UOP and they're talking about people. I says, yeah, I've got a couple of good tall kids. I says, I got one at seven foot one and another one six nine. They say, what? So UOP, Stan Morrison were the first people ever to really get a chance to look at Bill. But after the year progressed and he started doing the things he did and we started being undefeated, then things started, people started, you know, it was no longer a secret but who he was. But his junior year, there was no doubt in my mind what he could be. Now, would he be 16 years in the NBA? Mm, th- that's, that's a big dream. But I knew he could be an unbelievable college player, and I knew he could play pro basketball. You understand? What do you attribute his success to? All you, 0% him. Two things. Number one, no one in this world has worked any harder than Bill Cartwright. Number two, he listens. And number three, he and I had a special connection and I found, I would find out what does it take to make him a better basketball player? And I would talk to Coach Wood. I would talk to any coach, I, any college coach I could. For example, the best jumpers are volleyball players and they go to, in the sand and they jump on stuff and jump off. We did those things. Uh, I did all kinds of things in the summer program, agility drills to make Bill stronger and I think was my, me persevering and and having him work hard and motivating him to play hard and Bill's wanting to be a great player. Bill wasn't the highest jumper or the quickest guy, but if you'll read Sam Smith's book, he'll say Billy was by far the most fundamentally sound basketball player of the Chicago Bulls. Bill was fundamentally sound. He could shoot with left hand, right hand, go left, go right. He just kept the ball high. He was just fundamentally sound. And those people didn't, who did not see him shoot the ball before he hurt his foot, he had a shot of beauty. The thing was up high, and it was just so soft. He could shoot the lights out. Bill averaged his first 10 games of his senior year, 55 points a game. And those days, you could not stuff. He scored 66 points in three quarters his last high school game, and you could not stuff. So that should tell you something. And he never, he, no, nobody ever guarded him one-on-one. He was, guard, he was double and triple teamed all the time. Well, you know, I, I well, hang on a second. I, I, I thought a big thing was for all of us, why we were successful. And it's, it's really all about you, Dan, because it's the level that we practice at uh, our practices were not easy. We practiced extraordinarily hard every day, and I thought our level was extraordinarily high. So when we played against teams, we always played harder, and that's that's all you. That's that's the level that you raised, especially with my senior year, when we lost everybody, and we still had to maintain that same level with basically me 
as the only starter coming back. Uh, I got a chance to spend a couple of three days with the coach Wooden at UCLA. And he taught me two things. Number one, be organized. And you remember when we played, Bill, I had the cards, the time we would do things and this kind of stuff. And I had progression. And he also told me another interesting thing. You have about 10 to 15% slippage from practice to the games. So if you practice at 75%, you're going to play between 65 and 60 so you notice at practice, I required you guys to be as perfect as possible. Yes, and by doing so, that means when I we went to the games, we're practicing at 85 and 90. That means we're going to be 70, 75, and 80% when we play. So I demanded perfection out of you guys. And I think also I was willing to put the hard work in, and you guys saw that. And he said, if he will do these crazy things, then we should also. But I became a very, a young man who didn't play basketball until I got out of high school. I became a very knowledgeable basketball coach. In fact, I think uh, I became knowledgeable about the big man, his moves, as, as well as anybody around. And I think you were a perfect, you and Terry were perfect examples that you people dominated everybody. I remember we played Davis your junior year and you were out with a broken foot and they guarded Terry one, one. Well, how about the Metro tournament when you were out? Terry, in three games, he I think he averaged something like 28 points a ball game and shot 70% from the floor because he was just so fundamentally sound to do it. Plus, didn't you think everybody bought into the idea that, and you were a big example of this, that even though you scored a lot of points, you were no more important than anybody else on the team, that the guy that passed the ball and the guy that got rebounds were just as important? And everybody bought into this, that the only thing that was important was for us to win. And everybody did their own job. And I think more than once you 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 said that to reporters, because the way you scored was just, it was ungodly, some, the way you scored. But you said that wasn't important. I couldn't score unless they got me the basketball in the right spots. Right. And also, we we played extraordinarily hard. I thought we guarded really, really hard. Um you know, you talked about Mike Pickling. Well, we lost Mike my senior year. Then we ended up with Mike Hood. We ended up with guys like Michael Graggs and and Billy Job and Morse Bell. And that group, uh, that group, their level of play was really, really hard. Uh, that was uh, that was really interesting. I don't think a lot of high school teams from California, especially then, maybe now, would go to Texas. To play, to play two games, that was that was really amazing. That was a great we experience. Were, Bill, we were the first team to go out of state. Now, other teams did, but we didn't pay a penny to go down there. They paid our entire the tab. And we went down there, and the one high school ended up being the number one school in, in the United States that year. Now, uh, if we hadn't gone, we might have gone undefeated your senior year. We might have. Because we lost the game to Edison, but we were so pumped up to go into Texas. Some of the guys had never been on airplanes. And when we got down to Texas, the teams that we played already played about 20 games. And the first game, and we lost in triple overtime, uh, you know, we got job. And then the second game is the number one team in the United States. We're up by 10, and you've only got three fouls, and you pick up two fouls real quick, and you're within 10 feet of the guy. But they're not going to pay our way down there 
for us to walk away, but it made us a better basketball team. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we played Fairfield High School in front of 6,000 fans over in that area. Everywhere we played, people, the gyms were packed. We went back to Modesto High School, my alma mater, and we're playing. And we weren't playing very well, but we're up by 25 to 30, and I take you out of the game. And their coach comes down and says, Dan, put him back in. We've never had such a crowd since I've been coaching here. Well, it embarrassed me to do so, but I did. The thing I think that made me a better coach than most was that if I'm a high school coach, I can't have one set type of program because I'll have different types of players. Now you can always play hard. You can always be disciplined. My first year there, we played a one, two, two zone. My second year there, we played aggressive man to man. My third year there, we played a big zone. My fourth year there, we played a matching zone. And your senior year, if the score was odd, we played man. If the score was even, we played zone. And you know, high school people don't do things like that. We played Grant High School for the championship. And they'd only lost one game that year, and that was to us by four points. And they would come down and start their motion, and we would send a guy through or playing man. No, we're, we're playing zone. And also, they pressed us, which hurt us. But the thing, our advantage, everybody else, was a guy named Bill Cartwright. So if you remember correctly, I put you at half court, and Bill Joe, who could throw the heck out of the ball, would take it out of bounds. If they played in front of you, he would throw it over your head. You would get it for a layup. If they played behind you, you'd break up and get it, and Mitch Magna would break to the basket. So we did innovative things knowing that our ace in a hole, we had the number one basketball player in the United States on our team, but all the rest of the guys, they felt, hey, we got something special. If I work hard, if I listen to coach and if I do all this, we can do things that will be a memory of the rest of my life. And when we went to the reunion, all those guys, it's still their 1974 defeated team was one of the highlights of their life. And you know what impressed me more of all the guys were there. They were all successful in their own different endeavors, Bill. And I think it has something to do with family and hard work and discipline that we we did when we were there those two years or those, you know, the years we were together. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, my last year at school, senior year, and we're going to the TOC. What, what were you thinking when uh, we're headed to the TOC? Well, that year was a very interesting year because everybody jumped on the bandwagon. If you remember correctly. All right. We sold 800 season tickets. We had our own radio station. If I would allow it had TV cameras there for every practice, I had to hire, I had people guard the doors of the gym because every scout in the world wanted to be there. Um, I met a little couple in town whose last name was Grizzly and they were very sorry when I stopped coaching because all the college coach was constantly contacting them, okay? So we go out and we play Grant High School in our local section and we beat the hell out of them. We beat them by 20 and we go down the Oakland TLC, and I know we can play with anybody, but this little town of Elk Grove, now they can't do anything. So they put, they put us against uh, Bishop O'Dowd. And uh, they tried pressing us. 
and they tried playing you one-on-one, and I think that was a mistake. I think we beat them 97 to 83, and you went for 55. And, uh, and it was just one of those games. The next night, we played probably the toughest team we played all year, and that was um, Oakland Tech. And they had Shavers, they, uh, Woofie Perry. They had a lot of people. But once again, our strength was you. And so we scouted, and we decided that you would guard a player who could not score. The rest of the guys played man-to-man, and you guarded the middle. And I th- think we beat them by 15. Then we played Berkeley High School with 4,000 students, and they had Gene Ransom, who was a stud. But he lost his head. Uh, he was quickest we've ever seen. But instead of pulling him shooting a 17, he went to the basket. And his first two shots, I think you threw them up in the stands. And we controlled the game the whole we, – we controlled the whole game. And we knew we were going to win. We broke all records for attendance. We broke all records for number of programs sold. Our cheering section won, um, won all the awards. Our cheers won the awards. But something that I remember most was – Remember when you played high school basketball, you could not, it was against the rules for you to stuff. And so you'd never stuffed in a game. And you came to the bench and I looked at you. And I said, would you like to? And you said, yes. And they fronted you and they pat him through the ball over the top and you threw the ball through at the Oakland Coliseum. They went nuts, and the official comes over. He says, hey, coach, maybe it's time we get him out of the gate. There's about a minute and a half. Yeah, I, I do remember that. That's exactly what happened. Well, Look, what was the penalty for doing that at the time? He had never, you know, it's something he had never done, and it was the idea that I know he had wanted to do it. Uh, the only time we ever did that before was the last home game that we had, and it was very emotional for all of us because I knew it was my last home game. And we locked the doors to the basketball floor so the officials could not get in on the floor. And we, for about 10 minutes, we threw it. Out of the 15 kids on the team, 10 of them could throw it down, all right? When we warmed up, we would come out and we would run and touch the rim without a ball, ball. And Billy could touch the square. So you can imagine how we would motivate our fans. Um, our place was packed every game. Bill did not lose a home. He did not lose one home game in the three years that he played there. And our fans were crazy. We had the greatest fans all around. And so I just thought he would like to do it. I didn't ask him. I just said, would you like to do it? And he said, yes. Was it a spontaneous decision on your part? It was, yes. It was very spontaneous. It was very spontaneous. No plan. It was very spontaneous. And of course, Bob Gaylord's up in this. Bob Gaylord, who's already built, Billy signed an academic uh, scholarship for USF in February to get all recruiters off his back before he signed his athletic scholarship. And Bob Gaylord and Dan Bell on the stands, and they see that and they say, "My God, look what we've got!" I mean, uh, they knew that. They knew that they they got uh, something else. When Bill was a senior, we were on national TV. Uh, between the Bucks and the Bulls. And it was just, and it was, that was the whole thing. I mean, the little town of Elk Grove, 
um, they go down, they, they follow us around the Oakland TOC and they're filming us this kind of stuff. And for a little town of Elk Grove to have a, a 10 minute halftime thing on national team was, was that was kind of special. Can you talk a little bit about uh, USF? Not a lot of people know that we were at USF together. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Bob Gator wanted me to, you know, come down. And I think he thought I'd come down. You're supposed to get in as close to her. And I went down at, 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 when you were a freshman and deal. Uh, but I realized that coaching on the college level was not the same as coaching in high school. It was more, uh, it was more like recruiting and stuff. So I, I worked there full time in your freshman year with you, but you got your stuff together. And then I was away for two years, but I went to every game and then, you had a decision to make, remember your junior year, you could have gone hardship and you would have been the number one pick, if you remember correctly, uh, Milwaukee Bucks. And Don Nelson called me on a daily basis. And if, if Bill would go hardship, he would be the number one draft pick. And if you remember correctly, you came to my house and I had you put paper down why you should go and why you should not go. And you would, I think you told your mother you'd graduate from college and you enjoyed college immensely, and uh, you made the decision to go back, and it all worked out. Where I would commute every day, and I would go, and I would go back all, and I would go there every day. It was a, a good experience. It was, it was good. Uh, I'm not a college coach. The point that it's more of a business in college. I was a high school coach. I was a, a fundamentally motivating type young man. So. No, you had some member as a, 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 a right out of high school. You could have been the number one draft pick for the Philadelphia 76ers if you had so desired. But instead, you followed your mom's path and you went to college. So when you came back from USF, what were you thinking? You were done with coaching? You you wanted to teach? What, what were you thinking? Well, I went back and taught. And, you know, I had three young kids and I thought maybe I should spend more time with them. Um, I didn't know. I knew I never coached high school again. I had no desire to do that. Uh, when you're at the top of the mountain, like we were, we, there's no way in the world could I ever duplicate what we did those five years. I mean, it's, as you notice, when I talked about that last game, I got a little, a little cracky. It was, it was just, when you look at it, why did I go to this little country town to take a job that if I had invested, I wouldn't have, and then all of a sudden on the scene comes all of these players, a Terry Soffer, a Mike Pinkerton, and then the best high school basketball player in California for two years. Why did this all happen? And it was meant to be. And you can never duplicate that again. It was just, it was a special place in time. And when we were back for that reunion, I, I'm sure you felt the warmth. And the thing that impressed me was that when I started talking to you guys, you all quiet down, and as your coaching, Ed, uh, I was very proud of seeing how successful the guys were, and so many of them showing up, and then their reaction to what we had accomplished. And they all thank you. Well, the young man that uh, put it on he interviewed for a job with Sunset Magazine and they asked him, why do you think you are ready for this job? He says, 
My high school basketball coach taught me hard work and discipline will get me anywhere. I've got it. Is there a difference between kids and sports now than there was when we were there at Elk Grove High School? I, I, there's, it, I think it's the parents are more different than the kids. Uh, it's uh, kids nowadays. Well, okay, for example, I mean, AAU right now, uh, my, I, I have, as you know, I've got a 26 year old son play. They don't teach them any fundamentals. All they do is just run them down the floor. Uh, they're not asked basketball players now they're athletes and uh it's just it's just it's just i look at it and i watched high school game and it's ridiculous so and these are parents because au they have to pay unless you're a superstar they're not hungry anymore and they're spoiled to death i mean when you guys went to houston texas my god it was a high point now it'd be nothing because if you would be going to high school right now, Billy, you would have been to Europe by the time you were senior in high school at AU2. You'd been all over the United States. You'd have more Adidas or Nike shoes and sweats in your house that you'd have to build another closet. It's just—they're just—it's a different game now. It's a totally different and totally different attitude. I mean, can you imagine bypassing USF? You—you you loved USF. Can you buy? You'd had to, Bill. You'd had to come right out of high school. You'd had to go to the pro. You'd had to go because the money was just too, the money's too big. Yeah, there's a little different mindset of, uh, of at that level. But, um, you know, it is interesting to me because we do have AAU and it is the norm that you travel, that you have a lot of gear, that you have a lot more stuff. And, it's uh, but but it's 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 a mindset. It's it's like this is what we do now, and that's pretty much in every sport. Do you think that that's hurt the kids? Oh, very definitely. Uh, I don't do high school coaches listen. I mean, to uh, players listen to their high school coach now, or do they listen to their AAU coach? I know kids are the right kids. I coach Patrick's eighth grade team, and most eighth grade teams now they just run all the place. But I taught them fundamentals. I did exactly like we did in, in high school. And I got them good looking uniforms and this kind of stuff. And these kids, you can't believe how far they came. It was just unbelievable. But parents got involved. My child's not scoring this. My son's not doing this. And, you know, that's, and that's the problem. No, it's a different mindset now that, it, to me, they've hurt the game. Uh, I can't believe that, there's, that everything's three-point or slam dunk. I can't believe that there's not a place for a Bill Cartwright in high school who averaged 38 points a game his senior year on the floor. Uh, uh, I would, all these teams that play right now, I would take your last two years in high school and play with any of them. So they're shooting threes. We, uh, you shot 66% from the floor and about 80% from the free throw line. We shot over 50% every game from the field. So I got to believe that and we could extend the defense and play the threes as much. I mean, when we played that matching zone, we were from sideline to sideline. We invited you to put in the corner because we doubled you. So we could play nowadays. They just totally changed the game. I mean, uh, you would have to be playing outside right now. It's seven foot one with all of your beautiful moves inside. They'd have to move you outside so you could shoot a three. Which you could. Remember, you could shoot well from the outside. So I'm a purist, Bill. I don't watch much basketball anymore because I, it's just not the game that I 
that I love that I loved and I that I coached to love. So you spent most of your life in the Sacramento Valley, and then now you've you've moved. Yeah, uh, Patrick, my son, moved to Los Angeles, and I went back and I said, "What am I doing here? Where do I want to do this next chapter?" And I love warm weather, as you know. And Patrick's two hours away, and I'm only two hours away from that world championship LA Dodger team. And so I'd never been to Palm Desert in my life. I didn't know anybody, but I went to a touch a couple of Dodger games and I came down here, looked around and I found a home. I live in a Dell Webb community. It's like an adult summer camp. Um, uh, am I happy? I've never been so content in my life. I play pickleball probably two hours a day. Uh, I walk my, I've got a nice dog. I walk five miles a day I still lift weights and stretch and just enjoy life it's it's a very simple low-key life and it's it's very enjoyable I was going to say no it's a real pleasure uh who are some of the coaches you mentioned John Wooden that inspired you and who are the best coaches these days and why uh, okay. John Wooden, definitely. He was probably the, the number one guy. Then we also had a, a, a junior college coach by the name of John Karsten, who John was my mentor. Uh, he always was very truthful to me. Uh, he, you know, he, if I wasn't doing the right thing, I would ask him and he would tell me the truth. Uh, coaches nowadays, uh, the guy at Kentucky is arrogant, but you know, to get all those players to buy into what he does, He's done a heck of a job. Um, the guy up at, in, what's the guy's name? Gonzaga. Uh, he's got something going. Yeah, he's got something going because they win. And, and when people transfer, they seem to want to transfer to his program. And, uh, and who wants to live up in that area? I mean, think, who wants to live in Spokane, Washington? Think about it, right? Uh, of course, Coach K. But, you know, he's there. Uh Probably the guy at uh, the guy at Kentucky because he gets these people to buy into what he does. He's a motivator. And as far as pure basketball, it has to be the guy up at Gonzaga. Yeah, Calipari's. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, you should know that you've impacted not only my life uh, and changed it, but uh, many others. Uh, we will always, always be grateful. And uh, we're just thrilled to have you on. Um, and thank you very much. Thank you.